And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And a great day to talk, uh, at least for a little while, about actually making things better. We, we do talk about things getting worse in this country all the time. And that seems to obsess people particularly during a political season where the view of both sides of the other side is positively apocalyptic. So what do you do about it? What do you actually do to make this world a better place, to make this country a better place? Somebody with ideas about that is Bjorn Lomborg. He is a best-selling author and academic. He's best known for actually talking about climate change and talking about climate change in a non-hysterical manner in a way that emphasizes what can actually be done to make things better. The uh, seven different Nobel laureates, people who have won the Nobel Prize, uh, have worked with Bjorn on uh, his Copenhagen Consensus, that is his think tank in Denmark, and uh, he is also a visiting fellow Bjorn at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. He's been named one of the world's 100 most influential people by Time magazine. He's the author of a new book, already a brand new bestseller. It is called Best Things First. And the subtitle is The 12 Most Efficient Solutions for the World's Poorest and Our Global SDG Promises. Uh, one of the things that he mentions in the book is vaccines. And uh, what you say, uh, Bjorn, is vaccination is one of the true wonders of humanity, having saved more lives than any other medical invention and in providing population level control of diseases that once run rampant. Why is it then that not just relating to COVID, but relating generally, there is this spreading anti-vaccine movement. Uh, we even have a presidential candidate based on the anti-vaccine movement, Robert Kennedy, who is drawing about 20, 25 percent of the Democratic vote right now. Why is that movement so strong if vaccines are so great? Michael, it's great to be on your show. Uh, and it's important to say we're talking about childhood immunization. So we're talking about we should make sure that everybody is vaccinated against measles, hepatitis, uh, uh, rotaviruses, these very simple things where we can save lots of people. I think the reason why we have become uh, a little skeptical is because it's so long ago that we saw infectious diseases kill vast waves of our population. Remember smallpox in the first part is the only disease, uh, infectious disease that mankind has actually eradicated. It killed somewhere between 300 and 500 million people in the beginning of last century. Uh, and we've totally forgotten. We've, we've eradicated in 1978. But had we not done so, it seems reasonable to believe that every year about 5 million people would still die from this terrible disease. Likewise, with measles, we know measles are incredibly dangerous and will kill a lot of small kids. Uh, we will probably have about two, two and a half million deaths from measles if we didn't vaccinate. Uh, this is not rocket science. This is something we discovered already in the you know, late 1700s. 
it works. Making sure that the body has already seen a disease, which is basically what vaccination is, so it's ready for it when it comes again, and then can quickly uh, tamp down on it. That's just simply a smart thing to do. I get that a lot of people are worried about all kinds of other things, but this is really one of those things we know, incredibly cheap, incredibly effective. What about, I know with the measles vaccine, there is a, a great deal of hysteria in this country, unfortunately, about uh, measles vaccines causing autism in children. Uh, I know that Robert yes. F. Kennedy Jr. believes that he, he, he has an autistic child and it's because of the measles vaccine. Uh, is there mm. any scientific basis for that? Again, you're asking an economist. We're basically taking the evidence from all the scientists. My understanding of this is it has virtually no basis. Uh, there is, uh, so the original study that made uh, everybody very worried has been retracted and it was just bad science. Uh, this is not to say that, you know, it would be um, astounding if we had a situation where a vaccine uh, or any other medical procedure did not sometimes have a negative uh, outcome. That's undoubtedly true for, for vaccines as well, but everything has a price. And this is a very, very low risk compared to the immense risk you avert, for instance, uh, for measles. Again, let's just remember, uh, if we didn't have a measles vaccine, you know, uh, millions of kids would be dying each and every year. And the fact that we only have, and I put that in inverted commas, uh, uh, we only have about 80,000 people dying from uh, measles now in the world is mostly because we have a vaccine. So, look, I get that people are worried. I get that this is a controversial issue like many other things. But, you know, we have pretty good data that tells us this is a very low risk and a very high benefit and fairly cheap intervention. That's why we find that this is one of the 12 best things for humanity to do where we we can basically spend very little money and end up doing incredibly good. We, we estimate that for about $1.7 billion a year, we can save 500,000 more lives each and every year. That's just simply a darn good deal. You uh, Some of the other ideas, and, and the book is called Best Things First, the subtitle, The 12 uh, Most Efficient Solutions for the World's Poorest. Uh, what are th some other examples of minor investments that we can make that would bring major benefits to the world? So one of the things that surprised me a lot was how many moms and kids die uh, around uh, the process of birth. So about 300,000 moms die each year and about 2.4 million kids die in their first 28 days on Earth. And we know how to avoid most of these at very low cost. So we estimate that if you could just spend about $5 billion a year, this is not nothing, but it's a fairly small amount, we could actually save 1.4 million lives. We could save 166,000 moms and more than 1.2 million kids. Again, this is not rocket science. Just give you one example. So about 5% of all kids that are born don't start breathing on their own. So they actually need an active intervention in rich world. We do that routinely. We just simply apply, uh, you know, uh, we put in uh, air in their lungs and they start breathing and they live. If you have a resuscitator, it's basically just a hand pump in the poor part of the world. 
you can do the same thing. That hand pump costs perhaps $75, and over its lifetime of three years, it can save, say, 25 lives. This is just simply not rocket science. It's something that's very simple, very smart. Uh, the other thing, just to give you another example, because this is about saving lives, the other one is education, about making people better off. Uh, so most kids are in school today, about half a billion kids in, uh, are in primary school and the uh, lower income countries. And most of them are just not learning very much. This is to a large extent because we have, you know, you put all 12 year olds in one grade and all 13 year olds in another grade. And that's fine if everybody's been following the curriculum all the way through. But for most uh, of these kids in, in developing countries, there's a wide range. So some of these kids are very, very well aware of what's going on. Some of them have no clue. And what's a teacher going to do? You need to teach each one of those kids at their own level. And one way to do that is to put them in front of a tablet one hour a day. This is very, very well proven in lots of studies. If you put them in front of a tablet with educational software one hour a day, because this tablet learns exactly where this kid is very quickly and teaches it at its own level. That's okay, read, read further information. This is so important. The, the book is called Best Things First. It's posted at our website. The author is the one, the only, Bjorn Lomborg. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. The uh, Daily Mail over in London has uh, just issued a uh, list that is uh, very relevant to uh, what we were talking about just moments ago with Dr. Bjorn Lomborg about uh, the best things that one can do to actually improve life around the world. And uh, the list the Daily Mail has issued is uh, put together by a Professor Hankey who um, uh, has computed various standards of suffering. And uh, basically, he turns out that Zimbabwe is the world's most miserable country, uh, trumping Venezuela, Cuba, and war-torn Syria. That is accounting to, according to an annual misery index, which ranks almost 160 countries on factors like unemployment figures, inflation, uh, bank lending rates. The African nation of Zimbabwe used to be known as Rhodesia. It's home to roughly 16 million people, is now ranked among the top five gloomiest nations for three years in a row. Uh, Robert Mugabe's brutal rule of Zimbabwe turned this country into an international outcast mired in corruption, violence, and an economic crisis that reduced tens of thousands to grinding poverty. What are the other most miserable nations in the world? Number two is Venezuela, which used to be one of the most prosperous nations in Latin America. And uh, it is now rated second most miserable, followed by Syria, Lebanon, Sudan, those three Arab nations, uh, all of them have uh, civil wars going on and terrible conflict. Uh, then Yemen, Argentina, uh, Cuba, Turkey. Ukraine is also on the list of most miserable nations, but that because they're, they're in the process of being attacked and invaded with destruction every day. 
Uh, so where is the United States? Uh, the United States now is 134th on the list. Yeah, 134th. That's good because, remember, number one on the list is the most miserable. We're, we're the 134th least miserable, and we actually have been moving in the right direction. We, we were 102nd last year, but unemployment has gone down in America. It's with only 3.4% of Americans today, uh, the lowest level in decades. So we are now close to the uh, the least miserable nation on earth, according to this index. Uh, it's actually, believe it or not, not a Scandinavian nation, though all the Scandinavian nations, Finland and Norway and Denmark, uh, home of uh, Dr. Lomborg, they're all up there, but a uh, number one in the world as the least miserable nation, the one that has done the best job of limiting or eliminating misery and suffering for its own population is Switzerland, which, uh, again, uh, on all of these rankings, Switzerland uh, does remarkably well. There's also a uh, a, a very... Uh, important, it seems to me, uh, move by the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy. We've talked about him before. Uh, Dr. Murthy had also been Surgeon General during the Obama administration, but he's not an ideologue and he is not a political activist. He is America's doctor and he has been doing a great job, it seems to me. He issued an advisory about a month ago on the dangers of loneliness and isolation in this country and how it costs people a great deal in terms of their personal physical health, not just their emotional health, but that uh, he came out with the remarkable bit of data that uh, indicates that if you are one of those people who say, you are have no close friends and that is close to a third of Americans it's shocking uh, if you're in that circumstance it's the health equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day as smoking 15 cigarettes a day is terrible it shortens your life uh, first of all it's going to make you stink but uh, it, it's a terrible thing for you but it's also terrible to go without social contact. And this is somewhat related to that. The headline is Surgeon General Calls for Curbs on How Young People Use Social Media. And uh, the story, the nation's top health official issued an extraordinary public warning about the risks of social media to young people urging a push to fully understand the possible harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. Uh, he wrote, quote, there are ample indicators that social media can also have a profound risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. The report included practical recommendations to help families guide children's social media use. It recommended that families keep uh, meal times and in-person gatherings free of devices to help build social bonds and promote conversation. 
It suggested creating a family media plan to set uh, expectations for social media use, including boundaries around content and keeping personal information private. Dr. Murthy uh, also called on tech companies to enforce minimum age limits to create default settings for children with high safety and privacy standards. And he urged the government to create age-appropriate health and safety standards for technology platforms. Adolescents are not just smaller adults, Dr. Murthy said in an interview on uh, Monday, actually. Uh, they're in a different phase of development, and they're in a critical phase of brain development. Montana's governor uh, just recently signed a bill banning TikTok from operating in the state at all, prompting the Chinese-owned app to file a lawsuit and young TikTok users to lament what one called a kick in the face. In March, Utah became the first state to prohibit social uh, media services from allowing users under 18 to have accounts without the explicit content consent of a parent or guardian. That law could dramatically curtail young people's access to apps like uh, Instagram and Facebook. Look, this is important material, and there is much more. But we would all do so much to improve the physical health and security of our children. Uh, this has to do with their physical health and their emotional health at a time of mental health crisis for American adolescents, which has been widely reported. Uh, we'll talk about other steps in the right direction coming up on The MedVet Show. Michael, great show, guy. I love it. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, we spoke earlier about the fact that uh, Stuart Rhodes, the founder, leader of Oath Keepers, uh, who um, was under trial uh, for seditious conspiracy, is the most serious charge available to some of the people who caused the violence, uh, the hospitalization of 140 police officers, and the misery and the destruction and uh, the assault on democracy that was part of January 6, 2021. It was a terrible day. I'm sorry, Mr. Trump. It was not a beautiful day. There was nothing beautiful about it. Uh, certainly not for people who wish well for our country and for our political system, which involves a peaceful transfer, transfer of power when it's appropriate. Um, and it's always appropriate, by the way, when it's actually a transfer of power based upon the will of the people. And the will of the people is registered in a very clear-cut election. In any event... Um, with uh, uh, Stuart Rhodes going to prison for 18 years. And now I don't know if he has the possibility of uh, earlier parole. He probably does. 
but it's the most serious sentence that anyone has received for involvement in that uh, riot on uh, January 6, 2021. There's another semi-celebrity who's just been released from prison, uh, the uh, QAnon shaman. Remember him? Jacob Chansley. He had all kinds of special dietary needs when he was in prison. And he was the guy who was dressed up in the Viking helmet, the sort of steel um, pointed helmet with uh, horns on it. And uh, he was bare chested and he had a fair selection of tattoos. And he was there in the house chamber uh, presiding as the QAnon shaman. Uh, he has now released a video. And uh, the video shows the brand new Jacob Chansley. He's dressed now not in a Viking helmet, but uh, wearing an American flag bandana on his head with a, an American flag um, tie and a white suit. And he has these optimistic words. Listen. So in the spirit of Christ's example, I would like to use this official statement to make it extremely clear that I have no animosity or hatred toward the United States federal government. And I have forgiven my captors and I pray for them because that is what Christ would do. The next part of my journey entails using the power of patience and peace to spread the truth and to do so in the spirit of a Christ-like forgiveness. In closing, Gandhi once said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. So it seems I've already undergone the first three stages of this process. Now, all there is left to do is win. Remember, now there's all knowledge to do always overcomes power. Now all there's left to do is, is win? For what? What brought him there to uh, the House chamber to demonstrate at the time? Again, uh, whether he still believes in QAnon, I don't know. But the idea that he's quoting Christ and Buddha and Mahatma Gandhi, uh, I suppose uh, that's a step in the right direction. Speaking of steps in the right direction, uh, the mayor of Portland, uh, Ted Wheeler, expressed renewed hope that the city-county homelessness agency can succeed in uh, cleaning up uh, some of the homeless infestation and encampments that have just devastated Portland, which is one of the biggest problems with homelessness anywhere in the country. And uh, he expressed disappointment that the homeless uh, service that uh, the city funded jointly with Multnomah County hadn't been able to spend all the money it had budgeted over the past year, meaning hundreds of people who could have been helped weren't helped. Okay, how many people have actually been helped? What progress have they made? But ahead of a city council vote next week on whether to renew the city's participation in the joint office, Wheeler said a renewed partnership between the city and county uh, gives him, quote, renewed hope that we can build a better Portland for all. Great. 
He said discussions with the county to adjust the joint office partnership have been moving in the right direction. And in the three weeks uh, since the new director of the joint office took that post, uh, they are are going to be able to spend more of this money. Just a hint to some of our friends on the left, uh, spending money is not the equivalent of of um, solving problems. Uh, this is unreal. Uh, uh, by the way, a short flashback. Uh, we were talking about Stuart Rhodes, who was just sentenced to 18 years. He appeared on the Alex Jones show and spoke about his plans for January 6th. Uh, listen. What we're doing is we have men all prepared to go in if the president calls Stuart. us out. outside D.C. as a nuclear option in case they attempt to remove the president illegally. We will step in and stop it. And we, we're going to be there to also help secure um, the coming rally this Saturday and your caravan coming in. So I've got good men on the ground already. We've been did a huge recon there last week, and we're uh, sorting out where we're going to be staging, and we'll be there. We'll be inside D.C. We'll also be on the outside of D.C. armed. Okay, this is one of the reasons he got convicted. Uh, he was actually planning some kind of revolution or insurrection, if you will. Uh, by the way, there's also this. I, I was leaving through the paper, and this is the Seattle Times, and they have a little section that says Local News Digest around the Northwest. Seattle. Man fatally shot in Ravenna. Man was fatally shot in Seattle's Ravenna neighborhood early Tuesday. Just after 2 a.m., officers responded to reports of a shooting near Olga Park. Uh, then Linwood, police, one killed in truck theft. A shooting in Linwood left a man dead and a woman injured after the pair tried to steal a truck early Tuesday. A man staying at a hotel uh, told police he heard his truck being started in the parking lot around 2.30 a.m. He found his truck in the lot with a man inside. A confrontation followed, and the truck owner shot the man and the woman who were trying to steal his truck. A Seattle man found dead on Alaskan Way. A man, 29, with head injuries and a gunshot wound, was found dead in the downtown Seattle early Tuesday uh, Tukwila, three injured at a shooting party. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, uh, a shooting at a large party in Tukwila left three men injured early Saturday. Officers found a chaotic scene shortly after midnight in a short-term rental. Uh, three men were shot and taken to the hospital, and multiple agencies responded to control the crowd of more than a hundred people. Two men were in stable condition and one was in critical condition. And then finally, Federal Way, Washington, two women who worked at a bar die. Two people were killed and another injured early Sunday outside a Federal Way bar. Officers responded to the Stars Bar and Grill uh, on Pacific Highway. Uh, Sunday at 3 a.m. for a reported shooting and found two women, 36 and 38, and a man, 25, with gunshot wounds. Uh, the women, both employees at the bar, died at the scene, and the man, a customer, was taken to a hospital. That's it. That's all the local news they put in that section. What's going on? We'll be right back.
Michael Medved Show. On the Michael Medved Show, uh, I did just uh, finished uh, sharing with you some of the what is called a local news digest, which every single one of the articles, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six of them, is uh, uh, about some kind of shooting, uh, which is really too bad. Uh, then there's also this story, uh, which we'll get through very quickly. A Florida man armed with an AK-47 was arrested at a Virginia preschool. That means three-year-olds. It means two-year-olds. It means at most four-year-olds. This is in Fairfax County, Virginia, just outside the nation's capital. Eric Sandow, age 32, was trespassing at Dolly Madison Preschool in McLean, Virginia, which is a very privileged suburb of D.C. He told uh, police that he was on his way to the CIA in Langley, Virginia. Police uh, seized two weapons from his vehicle, including that AK-47, and charged Sandow with felony possession of a firearm on school property. What the mm, was he doing at a preschool? Uh, we have um, uh, serious problems with mentally ill people and their access to weapons, it seems to me, in the United States. And that shouldn't be controversial. Meanwhile, some movies that may be controversial that are uh, being released for this Memorial Day weekend. The latest from Hollywood. Okay, the big movie, without any question, is uh, The Little Mermaid, which is uh, coming out from the Disney company. Um, most people are very familiar with the plot line and with the songs. The songs are all there. They're very well dramatized. And uh, the, the film uses a combination of some animated characters who are gorgeously animated, uh, fitting them together with live action characters, who, real people. Uh, who are actually a represent a talented cast. The one thing that most people know a little bit about is Ariel, the little mermaid who falls in love with a human being and has her life changed and has to make a deal with a sea witch, and you know the basic story, is played in, in this film by a newcomer named Hallie Bailey, who is sensational. She is a rising star. She is magnetic and charming and just seems nice and somebody that you you sympathize with and feel drawn to. Uh, the movie sounds a little bit like this. You broke the rules. You went to the above world. A man was drowning. I had to save him. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Poor child. I can help you. You can't live in that world unless you become a human yourself. Is that even possible? That's uh, 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 what I live for. Something about you seems different. I can't quite figure it out. She got legs, you idiot. Okay, uh, the voices that you just heard there 
It's Javier Bardem, Oscar winner, who plays the the King Triton, the father of Ariel. And uh, it's uh, Melissa McCarthy, who's actually (laughs) very good as uh, Ursula the Sea Witch. Uh, She's not quite as scary as the Ursula in uh, in the animated film. Uh, This film surprised me because of all of the live-action films so far that uh, Disney has made based on animated classics. This is the best one. And it is thoroughly enjoyable from beginning to end. And part of the reason is it's directed by Rob Marshall, who is a veteran director of uh, musicals and musical comedies uh, on Broadway and in movies. He did that Oscar-winning version of Chicago. He did Into the Woods recently. Uh, and and this works spectacularly well. It, it features Aquafina, whose voice you heard at the very end there, as the seagull scuttlebutt. And uh, there is Sebastian the Crab, who is voiced by David David Diggs of uh, Hamilton. And speaking of Hamilton, there are extra lyrics and some extra numbers, musical numbers, by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And they fit in beautifully with the film. The locations are great, the camera work is great, the special effects are marvelous, and uh, the film is long. It's uh, more than two hours long, but it is thoroughly enjoyable, and at the screening that I attended, advanced showing, there's actually applause afterward. And uh, again, for something like Little Mermaid, which is something of a classic animated film, to come out, I think, even more engaging and more emotionally satisfying than the animated film, uh, for it to work that well uh, is a, a, a wonderful development. Three and a half stars for the outstanding uh, Little Mermaid. The other big film uh, is uh, called Kandahar, and that may sound familiar. Kandahar was the name of a U.S. air base that had been established in Afghanistan. Now, this is not about the U.S. Air Force in Afghanistan, uh, in Kandahar. What it's about is secret operatives, and it's written by uh, someone named Mitchell LaFortune, who was a U.S. Army intelligence officer who actually was stationed in Afghanistan and in the Middle East and did some work there, which gives this film a little bit more of a sense of authenticity. It stars Gerard Butler. It's also produced by Gerard Butler. He plays an operative who is involved in a top-secret, extremely clever uh, operation to go after some Iranian weaponry. Uh, I won't tell you how that works out, but at one point he needs to be extracted from the Middle East, and uh, that means he has to journey to Kandahar, where they will send a plane to pick him up and take him home. Uh, but will he make it when he has to engage all kinds of operatives who are from the Taliban, from other factions in Afghanistan, uh, the Iranian militias, and there are even Pakistani bad guys in this film as well. 
all dueling with Gerard Butler and his loyal translator, Mohammed. Uh, listen. Our cover's blood. We leave for 15 minutes. Stretching point. There's an old CIA base in Kandahar province. I just want to go home and I'll be with you. The distance is not the main issue. That's what's in between. Maybe I'm catch my guy. I'll sell him to the highest bidder. There will be no sanctuary for you. Raise your hands. Do it before they get trigger happy. Tell me what's truly going on. We're cut out in an even bigger game. This is my life in your hands. Okay, is is it dramatic? The yes, it is. The locations are in Saudi Arabia. They actually shot there, and some of them are spectacular looking. Uh, David Negaban uh, plays the translator. He is a scene stealer. He's outstanding. And another actor who I don't know. All of the actors except for Gerard Butler are basically Middle Eastern. Is uh, Ali Fazl who uh, uh, plays. Uh, somebody else that you just follow because he's a charismatic presence on screen. Uh, does the plot make sense? No, <laughs> it doesn't. And the way it shows the CIA back home in Langley, Virginia, as watching everybody on a big screen as if they have hidden cameras everywhere that they can follow seems a little bit of a stretch. But uh, as these films go. This is a, a watchable, capable, two-and-a-half star um, movie, and uh, one uh, that uh, actually I think many people would find surprisingly complex and uh, interesting in terms of the life uh, of a, an operative undercover. Uh, meanwhile, it's Memorial Day coming up. And this is one of those uh, times when it is terrific to be able to watch a film uh, honoring people who have given the ultimate sacrifice to our country. And the best film that way, and with the best musical score that also is so deeply touching, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, you can't miss uh, one of the great films by one of Hollywood's greatest directors of course Steven Spielberg uh, meanwhile enjoy the upcoming holiday